Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 25. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well on in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Okay, let's, uh, let's pray and then we'll, uh, we'll dig into the rest of that passage. Lord, we thank you uh, for what we have just read, which is your word, your word of truth and life. Lord, we pray that as we read of, of these stories and things that happened thousands of years ago, You'd reveal uh, the truth of these things and, and what it is you want us to understand and know and what difference they make to our life in this time, in this place, amongst this people. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you will do that. Help us to be open and receptive to your work now, we pray. Amen. So we're at the, um, the start of this, of this series of the life of Jesus uh, written by, by Luke. Uh, those of you here last week, we kicked it off, and you'll know that. Uh, and we saw last week, if you just look down back at the Bible there that, that, that we've got open on that page, just above where we read verse 4, Luke has written this story of Jesus so that those who read it, i.e. us, may know the certainty of the things that we have been taught. And then this week, we kind of jump into the, to the start of the story proper, and we realize very quickly that this certainty of faith in Jesus is for uncertain times and uncertain situations and difficult and dark days. And it's reassuring for us, I think, as we pick up the story, a story about certainty of faith in Jesus, that it's for people just like us, just like you and just like me. Those who struggle with suffering and pain. Those who battle with doubt and have so many questions. Those who have so much good in them and yet also so much bad. 
This is the story of, of today, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and lesson is very relatable to us. And this morning, what I want to do is we need to place ourselves in their story. We need to, to feel and experience their story as they, as, they, as, as they felt it, as they experienced, and then we'll get what it meant for them, and I think then we'll see what it means for us. Now, Luke is true to his word in that he says he's going to go back to the very beginning of the story. In fact, he goes before the beginning of the story. We're not even at the promise of the birth of Jesus. We're at the promise of the birth of Jesus' older cousin, John the Baptist here. So we're kind of going way back um, and the situation this was given into. And what Luke is doing, remember, he's not Jewish. Like most of us aren't from a Jewish background. So Luke's kind of maybe from more of a similar background to us. He's kind of taking us who aren't from that background into this very Jewish story with this very Jewish history. And he's kind of introducing us to to what's going on and if we follow through this story leads us to hope and to joy as we encounter the saviour of the world so so let's just let's just follow through and and see what what uh, what is going on and what Luke's shown us the situation is is this you've got this priest this Jewish priest named Zacharias and uh, Zacharias sorry and his wife Elizabeth and she's also of priestly stock. So straight away we know this is an established couple. This is a somewhat successful couple in Israel of their day. But there's two things that are really significant about this couple. Verse 6, firstly. They're faithful in serving God and they're upright. Luke describes them as righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. It doesn't mean they're sinless or they're perfect, but it means they're faithful, they're law-abiding citizens, spiritually speaking. But secondly, verse 7, this doesn't mean all is well for them. In fact, they're facing a great personal hardship of being childless and in their old age. Now, this isn't just a great personal sadness, as it is for all people in all ages and and all over the world. We can relate to that for sure. But in the world of their time and their place, this is a source of great personal shame and disgrace. This is the kind of life situation that they got themselves into where people would ask themselves, well, what have they done that they've deserved that from God? What, you know, maybe they aren't as quite as squeaky clean as it seems. What sins have they committed that God's treated them in this way? Socially, it pushed them slightly towards the outside. So you've got this faithful couple in hard days. They're, they're, they're righteous, but they're barren. But Luke's writing more than the personal story, isn't he? And, and it's through Zechariah and Elizabeth. He's drawing us into a much more significant story of the whole nation. You see, their personal suffering is actually reflected in a more serious and bigger national suffering for Israel, the people of God at this time. These are the people who, in the first, uh, up to the first century, carried with them the promises of God and the hopes of God for the world, that through blessing them, he would bless the world. And this is the situation they've got themselves into. It just spirals down here. So Zechariah and Elizabeth are faithful, but they stand out amongst their generation. Most are not faithful to God anymore. Most in their day have turned away. They've turned their back on faith in God and, and faithfulness to God. The Bible says... God's people, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one has turned to their own way. And they've done that so much through their history and so much this this time that they're now uh, in Judea, in the the heart of Israel. They're ruled by Herod the Great. He's introduced to us in in verse 5. He's the king over the land at the time, but he's not a, a Jewish. He's not an Israeli man. No, he's a foreign pagan king installed by the Roman Empire. And he rules over them. And his rule is so great that 
Even this foreign pagan king rebuilt their temple, the place where they worship God. They're just being owned at this point. And Herod the Great is everything that Zechariah and Elizabeth are not. He is an arrogant and an impulsive man. He's committed to his own vanity projects like the temple. He uses others to fulfill his own desires. He murders others at will, including his own kids and his family. So much so that the historian said that it was, it was safer to be a pig in his barn than a son in his household. It was safer and better because his sons are at risk of his own violence and hatred. So this is the people of God. The people who have God as their king. What an absolute shame and disgrace for them to be ruled over by this wicked, this foreign king. They've drifted far away from God and a long way from fulfilling the promise of being a blessing to all nations that God had promised they would be and called them to be. And so God's people too are proving to be barren and fruitless. This is a situation that's going on. And what's more, to add to this, it just spirals even further. God is on mute. And he has been for 400 years. More than that. Not once in that time has someone heard the voice of God. Not once has a prophet said, this is God's word for you here today. Listen to this word from the Lord. Imagine that. Imagine it was the early 1600s before anyone had heard like a present and and, and current word from God. And and with that, it seems that there's been no action from God over that long, hard time as well. And for a people who carried in their hearts and in their heritage the promise of God, that God would speak and God would act, and through him him blessing them, there'd be a blessing to nations and his purposes would be achieved into the world, this was an epically bad and difficult and dark situation to be in. It seems like God has abandoned his people altogether. This is a long, dark night. And Zechariah and Elizabeth live in it and live in the midst of it. We've got to feel the depths of this situation. It's really dark. But things are about to change. So much so that Zechariah is going to go on to sing about it. We'll see it in a few weeks. And he's going to sing about it like a sun rising from heaven to shine on those living in darkness. And in this passage this week, we just get the first glimpse of the dawn softening the dark sky. And we catch that glimpse as Zechariah's Zechariah's division of priests are on duty at the temple of God in Jerusalem. And we need to realise this is a rare moment for Zechariah. There's 24 divisions of priests. And basically it means that each division serves for one week at the temple every six months. And they go and they go and stay at the temple and keep the religious system and the the temple system going during that week. Uh, The work of the priests is is a bit like an agent being a go-between between God and people. We think of like a football agent who at this time of year getting really busy sorting out transfers between clubs and players. That's what the priests did. They went between God and people representing both. And a key part of that was leading the people in prayer. So each morning and each evening, there'd be a prayer meeting at the temple every single day. And the people would gather, the worshippers would gather in the outer courts to pray. And a priest would be chosen by lot to go into the temple, into the holy place of the temple. And they would burn incense on the altar as the people prayed. And in biblical imagery, prayer and incense go hand in hand as our prayers rise up before God like a fragrant incense and a sweet aroma. And in his sovereign grace results in his activity on the earth. 
And so on this particular day, Zechariah is chosen by lot, by it seems chance or fluke, to go into the holy place and to burn the incense as part of this gathered worship and prayer time. And listen, this is an absolutely massive honour for him. This is the, probably the greatest privilege in his entire life. Most people don't get to be a priest. Most priests uh, are not chosen to do this. If you're chosen to do it, you do it once and once only in your lifetime. This is, this is this big life moment. This is his major spiritual high, okay? And yet God's working to blow that out of the water. He doesn't know what God's got coming for him. He's got this unimaginable privilege for Zechariah that he could not dream or dare to ask. In the temple, as Zechariah goes in to offer this incense as part of this prayer time, this is the meeting place of heaven and earth. Zechariah is going to have an encounter from heaven that's going to change all of history. We're there in verse 11. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah is terrified. He's startled and he's gripped with fear. You can imagine it. You, you, you would be as well. See, Zechariah isn't looking for this. He's not expecting this kind of stuff to happen in this world, just like we don't expect this kind of stuff to happen in our world. Here is heaven breaking into earth. God is on the move in a new way, and so Zechariah experiences something out of the ordinary. Now, we are going to get lots more of these kind of angel encounters over the coming weeks in, 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 in at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. And... Uh, And we're going to get them, but it's not really an everyday occurrence, not even in the story of the Bible. What's going on is there's lots of excitement, there's lots of activity in heaven around the coming of God's Son. And and so there's this spike in angelic activity and stuff going on. It's like heaven's bursting at the seams about what's going going to happen. So we're going to learn a bit more about angels as we go the next few weeks. But let's remember this, what we saw last week. Luke is writing... A history. He's recording true things that happened, however remarkable they sound to us. These are real things that real people claim to encounter and experience, and we need to take it on those terms. So anyway, Zechariah sees this angel. He's there, kind of like frozen in fear and terrified, and, and so the, this is, an angel always has to lead out on this. Don't be afraid. Chill out. It's okay. Don't be afraid because I've been sent from the very presence of God, but I've been sent with good news. I've been sent with gospel. Verse 13, your prayer, Zechariah, has been heard. You'll have a son who will not only be a joy to you, but he'll also be a joy to many others, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. You see, Zechariah's boy is to be set apart. The angel says he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's physically born which is kind of the only known instance of this, I think, that that, that we have, aside from, obviously, Christ. And he's to be devoted to God through this Nazarite vow, not not, um, ever drinking alcohol, and and what goes with that is not having his hair cut, because this is a a new time and a new thing that God's going to do through this promised son, John the Baptist. And so Zechariah is to call him John. Now, at first thought, um, I, I thought, and maybe you'd think, Zechariah's prayer that's been heard and has been answered is the prayer for his son, which no doubt he prayed many times, particularly, I guess, when he was younger. 
But listen, that's not the prayer that's been answered. That's not what's going on. Instead, the prayer that's been answered was the priestly prayer that he offered as he, as, as, he, uh, as he burned the incense, the prayer that he was there to offer on behalf of the people of God, the prayer that the priest would pray for, for redemption and for the salvation of Israel, for God to come again, for God to speak and God to act, to God, for God to move and send his Messiah to his people to take down their enemies and, and, and to raise them up. That's the prayer that would have been prayed in the temple as all of this stuff was going on. And like straight away, your prayer has been heard. Don't you wish sometimes that was, uh, you know, when you prayed for something for years and you feel like heaven's been shut to you. That straight away, your prayer has been heard. This son of yours has a special calling from God on his life. He's going to be this Elijah type figure that was promised by Malachi at the end of the Old Testament. He's going to prepare the way for the Lord. He's going to turn people back to God ready to receive the Saviour, Jesus Christ. Zechariah's son, you see, is going to be the forerunner. He's like the, he's like the warm-up act for the main event. He's, he's, he's that comedian who gets people going. And he's going to warm up as, as God himself is about to act, uh, walk on the scene in, in the person of Jesus. And so Zechariah is living in dark days because of all that we've just seen. But actually, wonderfully, he's just about finding that he's living in really blessed and good days. You know that moment of anticipation between a warm-up act before the main gig has started and you know, everyone's just kind of waiting, expecting the main artist to come on stage. This is that moment, spiritually speaking, for the people of God. And by God's grace, Zechariah and Elizabeth's story of personal suffering and their story of personal faithfulness is intertwined with a much bigger story that God is working this son that Zechariah is going to have, John, called John the Baptist, he's going to, his ministry, we're told, is, is going to be the blueprint for what all gospel ministry is going to be, what all good news ministry is that follows it. Lead people back to God through repentance and faith in Christ. Lead them back to God through repentance, point them to faith in Christ. That's what, that's what we do as a church. That's what we do in one another's lives. That's gospel ministry. And so the, the impact of that, as John does that, is all sorts of people, parents and children, all sorts turning from disobedience to the wisdom of the righteous. It's good news. But Zechariah's caught off guard, isn't he? And he doesn't know what to make of all this. So he does what any good skeptic does, and he says, nah, you have me on. Not really, eh? You sure? Look how old I am. My wife's over the hill. Nah, how can this be? How can I... Be sure. The, em- the emphasis is on the I. I'm not convinced here. See, it's shocking and surprising news, isn't it? It's no wonder he's got questions. In fact, others in similar situations have questions when they get news like that too. We'll see next week with Mary when she has her own very surprising news. How can this be? She says. Or Abraham, back along, when he received the, the kind of news out of the blue that God was going to promise it, um, all these promises of God to him and to bless him, he, he said, how can I know in Genesis 15? Or you might think of others like Gideon who sought signs from God about what he had promised. But this is the kind of question that can either be asked in stony unbelief or faith-seeking understanding. It can be asked in pride, in self, and refusing to believe it, or doubt that humbly seeks reassurance from God. And the thing is, it's clear here that Zechariah is asking it in that first category. He's point blank refusing to believe. I can't see how, and so I don't, and I won't believe it. 
How can I be sure of this? You know, it seems that even godly and faithful people can struggle with trusting God when his word comes to us and believing and accepting his words. You can imagine for Zechariah, maybe he just got so jaded, so discouraged and so cynical. So many spiritual setbacks and discouragements in his life and people around him, such hard and dark days. He just couldn't believe it. He was just not inclined towards faith and hope and belief, but just towards being, nah. You can relate to that, can't you? I can. Not even a good news message from the very presence of God won him over. Well, the angel is clear in his response, absolutely emphatic. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. It doesn't matter who you are, Zechariah. I'm here on behalf of God. And, and this is good news that God will ensure will happen, and it will happen in God's time. God isn't limited by Zechariah's lack of faith, so reassuring for me. But Zechariah's refusal to believe the good news of the living God does have significant consequences for him. For nine months, he's not going to speak a single words in utter silence he can't go and share the good news with his friends and his family this personal joy this this work that God's going to do he has lots of time to think and reflect listen God is not severe with Zechariah God still achieves his purposes his promises still stand and it still comes to pass but Zechariah's belief is exposed and it is rebuked it's not a good example to us A much better example, actually, is Elizabeth. She has a very different response, much more encouraging. You know, that's often the case. I I found women have the gift of faith where men are jaded and cynical. They can be blessed with spiritual insight and hopefulness. And yet God's promised things, so it will come to pass. It's been a very real gift to us as a church at, at some points along the way, where women have had that faith and that hope and that expectancy where others of us have lost it. Verse 25, Elizabeth recognises this pregnancy is, is a gift of God's doing and it's a gift of his favour in dark days. She trusts in God and she recognises it's through God that he has removed her personal shame and disgrace amongst the people. So that's, that's Zechariah and Elizabeth. That's 2,000 years ago. That's what Luke records for us. Here's uh, a couple of lessons. Oh, I've, um, I'm way behind on this, but um, there you go. Uh, here, here's a couple of lessons uh, I suggest we can learn. Here's, here's the first one. Pursue faithfulness in your suffering. Pursue faithfulness in your suffering. Or you could say, pursue faithfulness, especially in your dark days. You see, Zechariah and Elizabeth are a reminder, an example to us of the faithful suffering. We so often think, I know I think it and feel it in my life. Look, if I'm trying to be faithful to God, if I'm seeking to follow him and live live for his will for my life, that means surely I should get a little bit of an easier ride. Surely, surely he's just going to open up some doors on the way and, and, and surely things are just going to go well for me. Listen, that's just not the way the world works right now. It's just not how it goes. We know that by experience. Putting your faith in Christ. You need to know this, especially if you're someone who's at the start of their Christian life or thinking about trusting in Jesus. Putting your faith in Christ and seeking to live faithfully for God does not give you a free pass on trouble and hardship and difficulty in this world. 
In fact, we didn't talk about it, but it's really apt that we, we kind of read the Lord's prayer, uh, the Lord's, the Lord is my shepherd psalm, uh, and we sang that at the beginning because it's just really apt for us today. It's one of the most famous and precious and life-giving parts of Scripture. The Lord is my shepherd. It gives us a poem on the reality of life under God's care and his guidance and his shepherding and, uh, and his goodness. And yet it tells us that we will walk through the darkest valleys. We will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That is God's people under his care who know and love him and are trying to live their lives for him. are going to walk through those dark valleys. But in them we fear no evil and we fear no danger, for he is with us. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they lived in dark days for the people of God, and it seemed like the work of God was just non-existent. They carried for many decades, decades, their own personal suffering and pain of childlessness, shame and disgrace. And yet, by all accounts, they were faithful to God and they were righteous in his sight. They were aware of his presence. They drew near to him in their suffering. They weren't perfect. Zechariah shows us that. But basically, they trusted God in hard times. Basically, they pursued faithfulness to him. And so they stood out. They stood out as righteous people in a dark generation. There's much to learn from them as a couple. Listen, we must never, we do it, and it's so hard not to do it, but we must not. We must never tie God's love for us and his care of us and his power to act and his ability to deliver on his promises. We must never tie that to our present circumstances. We must never tie that to how things are going for us in the moment, how we feel about life right now. That is never the scale on which God's love and God's faithfulness is to be measured. Often he's working above and beneath and around in ways that we can't see, in ways we can't even imagine. Zechariah wouldn't have even had the audacity to ask for what God was going to give to him and did give to him. Often he is working in ways that we just have no idea about. And for long times, long periods, it looks like God is doing nothing and it feels like God is doing nothing at all. But all is not as it seems to our natural eyes and our natural minds. God will bring about his purposes and he will achieve them in the end. He will, he will deliver on his promises for our good and his glory every time. And so while we wait for that, we are to pursue faith in God and faithfulness to God in our dark days. In the days where we can't see it and we don't feel it. We can only do this ultimately because Jesus pursued faithfulness to us in his dark days. Jesus didn't even go, didn't just go through the valley of the shadow of death, but he walked all the way into the clutches of death out of love and faithfulness to you. He did that to save you, to make you safe. And so it is his forever and always faithfulness, the fact that he will not let you down. The fact that he is always faithful to you, even when you don't see it and you can't feel it, it is that which is the basis and the inspiration for us to stay faithful to him. As Johnny said, where else will we go, Lord? You alone have the words of eternal life. 
However dark it may seem and look and feel to you, let the light of his love this morning, if you need it, just let it shine in your heart once more so that you may have fresh resolve and fresh strength to walk faithfully to him. And who knows what may happen? Like Zechariah and Elizabeth, we might find ourselves caught up in a much greater story of God's work in us. Pursue faithfulness in your suffering. But secondly, it's going to be hard for some of us to hear, but pursue belief in your doubts. Pursue belief in your doubts. Doubts are going to be unavoidable for most of us at various points in our Christian life. And for some, they're going to be relatively ever-present. The question is, what are you going to do in response and with your doubts? Where will you take them? Will they be things that draw you and drive you closer to God in faith, or are they going to drive you away from him? That's your choice, what they do in your life. It might not be your choice whether you have them or not. Zechariah and, and Elizabeth are a mixed example for us on this front, aren't they? Um, though they're generally faithful, Zechariah's doubts overcome him in response to that clear word from God, whereas Elizabeth uh, delights in God's favour and grace through the promise of his word. Listen, Christians are those who take God at his words, who submit ourselves to the word of God and choose by faith to believe in it. Now, as as much as Luke wants us to be certain about the things uh, we've been taught, and and there is a good amount of certainty we ought to have in our faith, guys, we're still living by faith and not by sight. We're not living on uh, empirical proof. We're trusting in Christ, uh, and we believe by faith what we know to be true, and we hold on to it. It's not things that we can currently see with our natural mind and our natural eye. And so there's a degree of, of, of kind of empirical absolute proof that you're never going to get. It, it is faith after all. And it's true that this is hard for us when it seems like God is taking a long time in keeping his promises. Or it looks and feels like things are heading in the opposite direction to what God promised. That's quite a hard situation, isn't it? God, your word says this, and this seems to be what's playing out. When your suffering just seems to be increasing and seemingly never ends, and you just go from one to the other and to the other, and just everyone around you seems to be suffering. But you're aware that God has promised that one day he will free you from all suffering, and you're like, my experience doesn't seem to be going in that direction right now, God. Or, 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 or we hear the promise from Jesus. He says, I'm going to build my church. The gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. I'm going to storm hell and I'm going to save souls and take them out and rescue people. And yet often, to be honest with you, it feels like church has taken an absolute battering from the forces of hell. You think, Jesus, is this us storming hell or are we being stormed here? Or, or he says he holds us in his hand. None can snatch those that he holds. And yet, as you walk through, with a friend through doubts or, or a friend decides to move on for church because they're not wanting to submit themselves to Jesus, you have, you have questions about that. Or, or he promises to cleanse our desires and he says he's going to purify his church and we're going to be holy and spotless and beautiful. Quite frankly, guys, some weeks our lives reflect more of a, a standards episode <laughs> than a trailer for the new creation. Sometimes we're a mess. I didn't quite say that right, EastEnders. I said Estenders, didn't I? But you know what I mean. It's a posh version of EastEnders. (laughs) 
Zechariah and Elizabeth know well the path of living by faith and not by sight of trusting and of hoping that God will do what he said he will do, even when the world around us and our experience around us screams that that is unlikely. Their story is a reminder to us, don't become jaded, don't become cynical, don't lose hope. Pursue belief in your doubts, trust in God, stay faithful, find hope in your fears. We all have many, many, many reasons for tears and sadness, but not one of us has a legitimate reason to reject God. Not one of us. Not the God who loves us and saves us. And I don't say that tritely because I know situations that each of us carry. There are reasons to be sad, but not to reject. And so we cry out to Jesus, I believe, help me in my unbelief. The benefit we've got here is we read Zechariah and Elizabeth and we kind of, in one sense, we get engrossed in their story, but then we can step back, can't we? And we can see their story as history and we know how it turns out for them and we can see and we can be encouraged that God is faithful and God delivers and he did for them. But where they are in Luke 1, verses 5 to 25, before we've gone any further, they're, they're having to be faithful in that moment and they're having to look forward, aren't they? In hope that God will be true to his word uh, and, and, and he will do it even when they can't see it and they can't understand it and, and they don't get it. And, and we have to do that now in this situation in our life. Yes, we can look back to Christ and his faithfulness in his life, death and resurrection and, and we need to do that. But also we need to look forward by faith with hope and, and with confidence that God will once again be true to his word and do what he's promised. And, and, and the experience of Zechariah and Elizabeth, it reassures us. And it tells us God does come good in the end. He does. No promises or purposes of God will fail. And he might work behind the scenes and he might work in unseen and unacknowledged ways. Uh, There will be a day when it is seen and when it's acknowledged and it's known his faithfulness, his trustworthiness, his ability to deliver. And when we have much reason to doubt that, or doubts are just assailing our minds, or or that of a close friend, let us call out to God and ask that God would give us the gift of faith. You know, it's a gift we can ask him for in those situations. God, would you, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Lord, I've got doubts, give me faith. So give us faith for that situation at hand, that we may live faithfully as his people, however dark the days get. Knowing that in due course, in the appropriate time, when God has decreed it, all of his purposes and all of his plans and all of his promises for you and in your life and in history will come to pass. Let's pray. Lord, I, I just praise you for the, how real your word is that people in... Sure, it's, it's history and there's people in situations different to us and yet it's so like us and so relevant to so much that, that we're facing here today in our lives. And so, Lord, would you, would you help us to know your faithfulness? Not just thank you that we can remember it from a few years back and we can hear it from one another's lives, but Lord, would we each have a sense of your faithfulness to us today in the present, in the moment, and a sense of your faithfulness for tomorrow. That's our hope and that's our joy and, and our faith would be in you and what you're going to do, Lord. Help us, therefore, to be faithful to you. Lord, you've given, in this room, you've given us to one another as a gift to help us in that journey. Some of us are limping along and we just need others to come along and just encourage us and, and just lift up an arm and walk alongside us. Lord, would we do that spiritually for one another? 
Lord, would we, would we help one another to be faithful to you in what often feels like dark and difficult days and that you are the faithful God on whom we stand and in whom we trust and in whom we hope. And Lord, will you do it? Will you work for your glory and our good, we pray. Amen.